Hello and welcome to the latest Sustainable Finance Guernsey podcast, which is rated one of the top 10 most useful sustainable finance podcasts by the Green Finance Guide. Guernsey is one of the jurisdictions leading the way in green and sustainable finance. And as part of this podcast series, we speak to and learn from some of the leading global figures in the field. My name's Rosie Alsop. I'm Communications Director at We Are Guernsey, the promotional agency for Guernsey's finance industry. And I'm delighted today to be speaking to Shannon Lancaster, Fund Manager of Global Solutions for Ravenscroft Group. Today, as well as topical trends in sustainable finance, we'll also be discussing the Ravenscroft Global Solutions Fund. Welcome, Shannon. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Rosie. Hello. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. So um, let's start by introducing you to our listeners. Shannon, tell us a bit about yourself, your background and your work at Ravenscroft. Um, Right. So I work in the discretionary investment management team here in the Guernsey office at Ravenscroft. And my job is predominantly in the fund research team. So I spend most of my time doing the research and monitoring of the funds that sit within our Ravenscroft fund range. And the past year or so has been really dedicated to our latest fund launch, Ravenscroft Global Solutions, um, which launched on the 31st of March last year. Um, So we spent maybe the past 12 months really uh, doing a deep dive into the themes we invest in and looking at all of the the funds um, available to us in those relevant spaces. I also do a lot of work um, on the ESG committee here at Ravenscroft, so a more um, kind of group level rather than investment um, ESG approach. Um, and yes, I think I think that's it for now. Tell me, how has Ravenscroft's ESG strategy, both as a business and through investment decisions, changed over the past couple of years? So, um, first of all, at a group level, um, the ESG committee um, at Ravenscroft is really um, its goal is to kind of signpost the board and let them know the direction of travel and make recommendations um, for them in terms of what we should be doing on all fronts of the ESG. And the main things we've been doing over the past couple of years are firstly, we signed up to the UN Principles for Responsible Investment, um, which um, are voluntary principles that are aspirational for um, members in the investment management industry um, to kind of align with. So we signed up to that. We completed the report and received our first assessment. And now the task is to dissect that um, assessment and find some recommendations from uh, the UN PRI uh, bodies that we can um, implement here in uh, at Ravenscroft that would kind of align with our values and be the most value add for our, for our clients. Um, the second thing is we have um, we're just waiting to receive our carbon footprint information from ESI Monitor, who are a local business. Um, we've really enjoyed working with them and using their future tracker, which has been um, yeah, really um, a, a useful tool for us. Um, and then once we have that report, we can then make the decision and report to the board on what we believe uh, the next steps are and the recommendations in terms of mitigating and reducing that, that carbon footprint. And so, so, sorry, carry on. No, so so, um, so that, that is the group side of stuff. And then on the investment piece, um, we've been really integrating the UNPRI suggestions and recommendations, and we've been integrating ESG since about 2013. So it's really been for us about uh, formalizing and refining the ESG processes and you know, making sure that we're doing what's authentic and, and right for the team um, at, while also remaining relevant and competitive. That's really interesting. I had no idea you've been in that space for such a long time. So um, your funds are available to Channel Island and Isle of Man investors. 
Shannon, do you think there's a growing client demand locally for ESG investment solutions? And um, this, this is a two-part question. How important would you say client demand is in driving those investment decisions? So um, obviously client demand is very important to us, but I think um, what we've noticed is it's really about explaining and talking with the client and making sure that they know exactly what they want. There are so many ESG um, phrases thrown about. Um, you know, it can be, we get com- we get confused between what is a green, ethical, environmental, sustainable, responsible fund. So how can we expect you know, the client client will be 100% clear on what they want? So um, it's we it's our job to sit down with the client and make sure that they're really clear on their investment objectives. Um, and there's a nice responsible investment spectrum that I quite like to refer to, which on the left-hand side starts with um, traditional investing, and then there's kind of thematic sustainable investing in the middle, all the way up to the right-hand side, which is um, impact investing and philanthropy. And I think when once investors see that spectrum, they can it, it helps them be more clear on their goals. Um, you know, we, we believe our funds sit in the middle, so in that thematic investing space, um, which means we integrate ESG risks and opportunities into the investment process, but we're not quite at the impact investing stage where um, the objective is to, you know, make a measurable impact. The impact, the, uh, sorry, the investment objective of our funds is to make, you know, capital growth or income for our investors. Um, so we've definitely been having more conversations, um, but it's more um, at the moment about kind of, education and understanding and making sure that both parties understand what you know what they mean by ESG. So last year saw the launch, uh, as you said, of the Ravenscroft Global Solutions Fund. Can you give us an overview of that fund and how it differs from ESG Green or Sustainable Impact Funds? So um, Ravenscroft as, um, as a house are global and thematic investors, which means that we identify themes we believe will be around for years to come and potentially changing the world for um, you know, the coming decades. This can be things like changing demographics, accelerating innovation and rise of the emerging market consumer, which we've been looking at um, for over 10 years now. But like I said, as part of my job, I have to monitor and research those themes and the funds within them. And what we notice over time is that those themes um, and the opportunities to invest in them have really grown. So um, we would have been presented you know, 10 years ago with a broad healthcare fund and now we were being presented with a more niche thematic fund like an oncology fund or you know possibly um a healthcare discovery fund that's investing in cutting edge innovation in healthcare um and it became really clear that we could build a standalone portfolio um of those kind of businesses and those kind of funds and for us it's all about um five key investment themes so we invest in environmental solutions basic needs resource scarcity, emerging equality, and energy transition. And through those five themes, we have 16 underlying fund managers that are all looking to solve some of the world's greatest challenges. And this can be in areas like oncology, as I mentioned before, um, decarbonization, and even things like nutrition and looking at our um, food security and food supply system. Um, So yeah, it's really, really exciting stuff. It really does sound like it. Now, can you explain your uh, approach to SFDR and describe how being uh, UNPRI signatories impacts your investment philosophy? So through our work with the UNPRI, um, we've had some really excellent feedback and good recommendations from them in terms of really, like I said, how to formalise and refine our investment process. Um, I think the main thing for us was um, getting some good stewardship and responsible investment policies in place. 
So while um, you know we were doing a lot of this already, it was just really putting it down in writing and ensuring that the entire team was aware of it. I've also been working closely with other um, teams across Ravenscroft, including cash management um, and precious metals, for example, um, so we can make sure that you know we're, we're aligned across the group in terms of ESG. Um, with the SFDR, Guernsey aren't currently captured by that um, regulation yet at the moment, either through the, our, you know, the EU or SDR in the UK. But we believe um, that we would sit in an Article 8 position, or all of our funds would be Article 8, not just Global Solutions, in that we integrate ESG risks and opportunities, um, but it's not, uh, it doesn't form a key part of the investment objective. Um, and the way we do this is through those things. So you touched on it very briefly just now, but how does it fit with the wider fund selection at Ravenscroft and the concept of uh, thematic investing? So um, we're global informatic investors across the fund range, and we have um, four fund of funds currently. So we have our income, balanced and growth fund, and then global solutions. And if you imagine a, a risk spectrum that goes from left to right, income sits um, at the bottom of that risk spectrum that has less equity, balance is about 50% equity, 50% bonds, growth is slightly more growthy and has more equity, and Global Solutions is a 100% equity fund. So while we have thematic equity exposure to some extent in the other um, income balance and growth funds, the Global Solutions Fund is purely thematic, so it's just themes, and it's a full equity fund. So it sits right up on the right-hand side of that risk spectrum, and it is suitable for investors with a longer time horizon, so you know, seven to ten years minimum. So what are some of the emerging thematic investing trends that you're seeing recently or looking at for the future? Um, obviously, the one that's hot on the press at the moment is artificial intelligence, and we've um, really been hearing about how that can be applied across various sectors. Um, a few years ago, I think I would have assumed AI meant um, just technology sector would just impact technology businesses. But seeing how um, AI will really change um, multiple sectors and impact lots of different companies has been really exciting. Um, things like the metaverse as well, we had no idea that, well, I had no idea the metaverse could be so, um, so uh, kind of groundbreaking in terms of how it will help people improve um, things like education. Uh, we were told by one fund manager about med being trained surgery, surgery and doctors being trained in the metaverse, and that was a particularly exciting example for us. Um, the other um, kind of innovating uh, themes and trends we're seeing um, outside of AI are things like healthcare. Um, so really innovative healthcare businesses that honestly, after you have these meetings with fund managers, we're so excited about the future. We, we have a, an, an oncology fund that gives 10% of its management fee um, to cancer research charities. Um, and we started that meeting off, and as you can imagine, it, it was a Monday morning, and we were talking about cancer, and this is going to be a, this is going to be a rough week. Um, and usually fund managers split their portfolio by, um, you know, sector or region. So it'll say, you know, technology, healthcare, whatever exposure they have, US, Europe. And this fund manager had their portfolio split by tumour type. And I thought, this, this is going to be a particularly <laughs> rough Monday. Um, but actually, by the end of that meeting, um, Sam Dobby and I, Sam's our group head of fund research, we left feeling really energised and happy and positive about the potential new innovative um, kind of businesses that are being invested in through these funds. I'm really happy that we can play a part in, in that as well. You know, the possibilities are, in, you know, well, hopefully limitless, really. 
Um, can you um, talk us through some of those portfolio of investments and the projects that you are currently excited to be investing in? I know you've just mentioned the oncology one, but is there anything else? Um, so our first theme and the our core theme in the portfolio, we have 35% exposure to environmental solutions. We have four funds in this space um, that all do something a little bit different. Um, maybe one that might be nice to pick out is 91 Global Environment, which is a decarbonisation fund that really focuses on either the carbon um, avoiders or people, the businesses that are helping um, other companies to avoid uh, using carbon or reduce their carbon footprint. We also have Montanaro Better World that invests in um, environmental solutions theme, but further down the market cap spectrum. So we're in the small and mid cap space. Within our basic needs um, allocation, um, we access a couple of different underlying kind of sub themes. We believe everyone across the world should have access to um, clean water and efficient waste management systems. So we um, we get this exposure through um, Schroeder Food and Water and Regland Waste and Water, which are two different funds um, accessing different parts of the water and waste management uh, system. And Schroeder has um, a little bit of food and nutrition exposure. We also have um, uh, food exposure through Pictet Nutrition. Um, obviously, we believe everyone should have access to um, you know, uh, nutritious diets. So Pictet Nutrition invests in um, consumer staples businesses and all the way up to businesses like Agritech, um, trying to help us help be more efficient with our farming. So, so some really exciting kind of cutting edge businesses there as well. Well, sounds um, absolutely fascinating. It, 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 honestly, having challenged these fund managers makes you so excited about the future. You know, it can be so easily to be so easy to be, you know, so down about these things and watching the news can be it can be pretty heavy. But especially, you know, last year um, we had uh, there was obviously a lot of news about the energy security situation and you know our move to um, a clean energy economy and whether that would be um, prolonged or kind of kicked down the road a little bit with everything that was happening with Russia Ukraine. Um, and our meetings with energy transition fund managers were just so eye-opening and reassuring. And, um, you know, we it is going to take us a long time to get to our clean energy future. We would all like to get to that low-carbon economy tomorrow. Um, but in reality, we, we can't forget about the traditional energy players that, that got us here. And, you know, some of them might be part of the solution. Um, so our fund managers um, in that space are actually um, quite uniquely placed in that some of them actually have experience managing traditional energy funds as well, um, which you don't often find in uh, you know clean energy fund managers, which are usually people that have been doing this for 10 years. We have fund managers that have been doing this for 30 years plus. So they have relationships with you know BP and Shell. They have those big contacts at businesses and you know the doors are open for them to go in and have these conversations and have a seat at the table. Um, so we uh, we definitely believe as well that, you know, a lot of people have pulled money back blindly out of energy companies over the, the past couple of years. And I can definitely understand why. But I think from our point of view, being active owners in those businesses is probably a better position to be in than, um, you know, en masse selling our shares and letting private equity companies, um, you know, take majority stake in these businesses and run them into the ground. At least if you're um, if you have a stake in the business. You can, you know, have a seat at the table and you can um, have your opinion and, you know, hope to help those businesses transition. Absolutely. So in terms of energy transition, how important are, uh, I kind of know the answer to this, but how important are transition investments and how do you balance being an active shareholder in browner assets against divesting from assets that don't align with Ravenscroft's principles? 
So we have traditional energy exposure across the Ravenscroft Fund range and in the Global Solutions Fund, most of that exposure is actually through the Emerging Markets Funds. These regions are actually particularly vulnerable to the impacts of climate change and there's a lot of other considerations that have to be made when investing here. And those domestic energy producers are actually very important in that transition and obviously they are you know, years behind developed world. Um, so we definitely need to invest in the domestic energy players there. In terms of developed market energy players like you know BP like and Shell, we have exposure to those through our um, income balance and growth fund, and we do believe that you can find a good active fund manager that could be able to select the, the best kind of traditional energy companies that will be tra transitioning. Um, I know we've read lots of headlines recently about the money that you know BP are putting into renewable energy, for example, and. Um, there's lots of negative headlines about the amount of cash that's being generated, but they're also putting a lot of cash into the R&D and, you know, the CapEx spend to get renewable um, capacity up to where it needs to be. So I think there's definitely two sides to the argument. And I'd say um, we would all love to be in a position where we could just flip a switch tomorrow and all, you know, be on electric and there's no, um, you know, oil and gas needed at all. But that's not the case. So Working with, working with good fund managers, with good relationships with those traditional energy companies that are best positioned to pick the winners in a transition, that's, um, that's how we, we kind of view it. Also, sorry, a lovely example is um, there's a business called Orsted, which lots of people might be familiar with, which is a Danish wind energy company. Um, and it's, I think it's the biggest wind producer in the world now currently. And it's got a bit, but I think it's got over a third of market share now. Um, and Orsted are very widely held in clean energy funds and a real darling in the in the environmental uh, fund kind of manager uh, space. Um, but 15 years ago, Orsted was actually called Danish Oil and Natural Gas, and it was one of the um, dirtiest businesses in Denmark. It was extremely carbon intensive, and it was responsible for majority of Danish CO2 emissions as a country. So the transition that that business has made in a very short amount of time just shows that you know you you can these businesses can change, and in that case it was actually down to having the right leaders um, and the right um, kind of board members at, at that time to drive that change and to you know because at that point it was it was a bold thing for them to do and you know a bold ambition they were eighty five percent powered by coal and fifteen by renewables. And they managed to flip that around and become 85% powered by renewables and 15 now by um, traditional, which they're now winding down. Um, so I, I do think there's opportunity to, to invest in these businesses. It's just making sure that you are picking the ones with the best leadership and that, you know, that are aligned with your goals. That's a fantastic example. And it gives you real optimism for the future. It certainly gives me optimism. So, um, if we cast our minds back to last year and um, our Sustainable Finance Week uh, event, um, you, Shannon, and Jonathan Pope joined Adele Gale from Robus to speak on the role of ESG considerations in captive cash portfolios. We've recently spoken with Mike Pickard, who's at Aon, on our sister channel regarding the ESG possibilities for captives. Um, do you think there's potential for further collaboration between the sectors of the finance industry to open new opportunities uh, in, in an ESG and in a wider sense? I think collaboration is going to be key um, locally and across the, you know, the entire finance industry. Um, 
while we don't have solid definitions for things like ESG and we don't have a blanket framework that we can just apply to everything, I think helping each other out is probably the best way to get, um, we're all heading in the same direction. So in order to get there, we may as well help each other. Um, we, I really enjoyed that podcast um, that I did with John Hope, who works in our cash management team here. Um, and it was nice to kind of see how a different team approaches it. Um, obviously on the captives and cash management side, it's a lot more about counterparty risk. Um, and for them, it's all about bank counterparty risk, which is obviously quite topical at the moment with the, the news about um, several banks um, and Credit Suisse being one. So we did work to review the ESG um, publicly available scores on their on their bank counterparty list um, and then did a little bit of work on our own because those scores can often be very inaccurate um, tools to measure um, the, you know, the real ESG credibility of, of an underlying security. Um, so that was really interesting. We've also worked um, with um, other teams, like I mentioned, precious metals, for example. You know, where does that gold come from? Tracking gold on its journey, things like that. And we've been really pleased, actually, with how um, metal ore, for example, that we work with, our precious metals team work with. Um, they have QR codes on their gold that allows you to scan and view that gold's journey. And all of this has just been you know, really exciting. And it shows that everybody is kind of moving in the same direction. Everybody wants this level of transparency. Um, so there's been a lot of inter-team and inter-industry um, collaboration on this. That's a fantastic way of, of applying that technology in a really new and different way as well. That sounds amazing. And um, Shannon, that's all we've got time for today, I'm afraid. Thank you so much for your time and your insights. Um, to learn more about the Ravenscroft Global Solution Funds, as well as Ravenscroft's full suite of offerings, you can visit the Ravenscroft Group website and we'll put the link to that in the show notes and um thanks for listening today we have quite a back catalogue of interviews and panel discussions on the sustainable finance guernsey podcast channel you can check them out uh searching for sustainable finance guernsey wherever you get your podcasts and if you enjoyed today's episode please leave us some feedback we love to hear from you um, you can also find us on sustainablefinanceguernsey.com and weareguernsey.com and you can interact with us on Twitter at sfguernsey and at weareguernsey. You can hear more news uh, and developments coming out of Guernsey's finance industry on the We Are Guernsey podcast on your preferred platform. And we've also got links to Shannon and Ravenscroft's social media in the show notes. So please check those out. And we'll be back soon with another edition of the Sustainable Finance Guernsey podcast.